Listen, we started a couple of weeks ago with a series called Tis the Season Thanksgiving. And then last week, uh, we came back and we talked about love and we talked about the importance of loving people as Jesus loved and seeing people as Jesus loved. And today, we're going to talk about Tis the Season for Hope. Because if there's ever a time for hopelessness, we see that in our world today. If you have conversations with people very long, it doesn't take you very long to see the hopelessness that resides in and around us and all over the place. Even inside of our church homes, you see hopelessness and desperation. Let me make this statement that leading up to the very first Christmas, the prophecy and the promises of the coming Messiah seem very distant at all. I want you to think about that. Here it was a period of time that God had, had been silent, God had been distant, and the prophecies and the promises of, of the Lord seemed very, very distant and far away. And as a result of that, there were many, many believers, many, many um, Jews that walked away from their faith because they became desperate, became they, because they became despondent. But there was a group of people that lived in obedience to the Lord and was faithful to him in spite of the hopelessness that they experienced. Um, and this attitude of anticipation prior to um, carried on throughout the generations. If you go all the way back to the promises that God had made to the people of Israel, there were promises that were made in this sense of anticipation and expectation of a Messiah, of a Savior, was one of the things that was passed down. And yet because of the fact that God had not spoken for many, many years, there were many people that began to fall away and to walk away from their faith. Um, as a result, there were people as they're walking away, not only did they walk away from their faith, there were some that began to believe that the story that they had heard, that they had been told, that they had been passed down to them, was a myth, that it wasn't true. I want you to think about that for a second. Here's this faith that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and yet God had not responded as the people of God thought that he should respond. So there were many that began to fall away, to walk away, to even begin to believe that those stories that they had heard. Um, but then again, on the other side, there were those people that every day, in spite of what they felt, they got up every morning thinking and believing, I wonder if this is the day that the Messiah will come. Think about that. Years and years and in years that had, that had taken place. I want to introduce you today to two people that lived with that same anticipation. These were not two that walked away from their faith because of the desperate situations that they themselves faced, but these are two people that held on in spite of their hopelessness. These are two people that continued to believe and every morning got up believing that the Messiah would come. These are two people that continued to have hope. I want you to look in the New Testament at the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to pick up and we're going to tell the story this morning of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verses 5. And let me just say this. If you've not experienced um, a place of hopelessness in your spiritual journey before, um, you're probably one of the few and very far between. Because in every one of our lives, there will be that moment in time when we begin to question what we believe. There, there will be that time when things aren't working out the way that you think they should work and God's not responding the way that you think he should respond. When God's not answering the prayers like you think that he should answer, there are going to be those times in your life when you begin to question your faith. When everything that you've been taught, everything that you have believed, everything that you have held on, all of a sudden will come into question when you feel that God is far, far away. And then all of a sudden you begin to ask yourself, in light of what's going on in my world right now, does God even exist? And if you've not been there, you will. Because faith without test it's not really faith, is it? And so the story today we're going to read about is this man and this woman, Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you've never had a period of doubt in your life, 
that time will come. And this is what I know. There may be some of you here today that are at that place. You may be at that place where you are doubting, where you are wondering, where you are struggling, where you are wrestling, and you've come today for whatever the reason, and you've shown up. And my prayer is that when we're done here today, you'll have heard something that will encourage you from God's Word, that you'll see that there are other people that have walked through places of desperation, and yet they've continued to hold on in spite of the fact that God hasn't shown up as they thought he should. But before we read what Luke has to write, I'd love to pray with you today. Can I do that? Father, in our time together, this is what I want to ask as we gather in this place. We've, we've come to, to sing um, for our focus and our worship to be focused and centered around you and nothing else. Not musicians, not sound or lights or a building, not a person that speaks, that stands in front and shares stories, but the Word of God, our center and our focus is on you. Father, I pray that during our time, that God, that you would just open up our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would speak and be very free to move in and about this room. And for those of us that are at that place of feeling hopeless, for feeling despondent, God, that in the in the context of our story today that we tell about this couple and their life, that we would be encouraged. I pray, pray for the person today that's struggling in their marriage, the person today that's at the end of their rope, maybe at, at their job, Father, that don't see any light at the end of the tunnel in reference to their finances. Father, I'm praying for them today. I pray today that we would hear that word and, Father, you would ignite with inside of us the hope, the hope that Elizabeth and Zechariah had, never giving up, but continuing to hold on, knowing that you show up at the right time every time. So would you bless the reading of your word today in our time together, in Christ's name, amen. So this is what the story, how the story begins in Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And John, we're going to be in the book of Luke and the gospel of Luke, and we're, we're going to look at the story that precedes the Christmas story of Jesus' birth by looking at the, at the birth or some history behind the birth of John the Baptist. And so this is what we find here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And Luke writes, and he, he starts off by saying here in verse 5, when Herod, now this is Herod, king of the Jews, the, the king that would um, lead the... Um, the army to go out and to kill or massacre those babies in prior uh, during the, the birth of Jesus, believing that Jesus was going to be born. Having heard that, he wanted to send out to, to annihilate Jesus. He didn't want any competition with the, with the king of the Jews. And so here's Herod, king of the Jews, who had all the babies killed. This, is, this was talking about prior to that time. It says that when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest, religious man by the name of Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. And so here it is, Zechariah, one, one of the temple priests, he would, was responsible. There were multiple, multiple numbers of priests that were responsible. They had to sort of divide them down. He was part of that group of Abijah. There was a, that order. And so um, they had responsibilities of carrying out the worship duties for making sure that things took place at the temple, for the managing of the temple resources, the temple affairs, the teaching of scripture. And so here it is, Zechariah, who was a member of the priestly order, and also his wife, Elizabeth. Um, and she was also from a religious line, a long line of religious leaders. And the scripture says this in verse 6, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. You might want to circle that name righteous, that word righteous. It means to be right, to be right with God. And, uh, and so what, is, what does righteous mean? What does it mean to be right with God? It means that not only were they responded, uh, not only did they respond to God in faithfulness on the outside, but their hearts were also pure. I want you to think, have you ever seen Maybe have you ever done something on the outside that was right because you knew that you were supposed to do it, but, you, but your attitude and your heart wasn't right? Say yes. <laughs> Say yes. Have you ever performed for others because you knew that was what you were supposed to do, 
Say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here was two people that were righteous in God's eyes. They just didn't do the right things, but they were righteous in God's eyes. So, And look at what he goes on to say. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. So in public and in private, they were the same people. They were righteous. Their hearts were pure. They not only did what was right, but they lived righteous lives. And they lived their lives based on the promises of God that had been given years earlier. But yet, here it was, several hundred years that God had been silent. God had not spoken. And yet every day, Elizabeth and Zechariah got up faithfully to serve the Lord. Even though there was these things that it wasn't going maybe the way that they thought it should go. And you're going to hear more about this in just a few minutes. But they lived their lives, even though God had not maybe done what they thought he should do. They lived their life with an expectation that God was a promise keeper. Even though there was no proof that God would really do what he would said he was going to do, these two people lived as if God was a promise keeper. Every day anticipating God to do exactly what he said he would do. So here's Zechariah and here's Elizabeth trusting God, living by faith, believing that God would do what he said he would do. And look at what the Bible has to say next. Now this is very interesting. They're doing everything that they should do. They're being faithful to the Lord. They're holding on to their faith, living in anticipation of the Messiah. And yet the scripture says in verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth, this is interesting in its own sight, in its, in its own way, Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Now, in today's times, this is what we say. Sometimes people are very insensitive when other people are going through infertility. Ask me how Meredith and I can identify with that. Sometimes people unknowingly will make comments like, well, okay, well, whose problem is it? It's our problem. We're unable to conceive. Back then, they didn't have the modern technology that we did, that we do today. And but, but here it is, Luke writing, bringing out the fact they had no children, and it was Elizabeth's fault. I want you to think about that just for a second. And I want you to think about the implications of what was being written and what was being said in reference to Elizabeth. It's very important based on the culture and what was taking place. To have children was a blessing. To not have children was what? It was a curse. Something was wrong. Why was God so displeased? What had they done wrong? Why was God punishing them? So you've got this righteous man and supposedly this righteous woman who had served God faithfully during their, their lives, and yet she, she, she was barren. She didn't have kids. She couldn't have kids. And then he finishes off that by saying this, and they were both very old. In other words, things weren't working like they should have worked, like they once worked. Here's Elizabeth and her life and the pain and the shame of being barren while serving the Lord faithfully. But not only Elizabeth and Zechariah, and, and, and here they are serving amidst that time, and yet they're unable to conceive. And so you know that in their life there was a burden. In their life you know that were questions. Can you imagine the, the, the things that they had experienced during that lifetime when all of a sudden Zachariah and Elizabeth would show up and they would go, well, where's your children? Oh, you love the Lord? Well, if you do, where's your children? Because God blesses those who are righteous, but where's your children? Oh, you mean you have no children. Can you imagine the shame and the pain that they experienced? And here they are, very old. And their faithfulness to God went all the way back to a promise that God had made Abraham 2,000 years ago. Flip over to the Old Testament, if you can, and look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, and let's see what that promise was. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 in the Old Testament. Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith flowed all the way back to the Old Testament to a promise that God had made the Israelite people when he, when he said this. 
chapter 12, verse 2. When God said to Abraham, I will make you a great into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you, you being Abraham, and all the peoples will be blessed. So the Jews believed that there was something special for them, um, something more for Israel, Because it was after this story, if you know the story, that Abraham and Sarah were old in age, and yet what happened? God would bless them with a child. God would bless them with a child. And and through Isaac, there would be another son by the name of Jacob, who would be born, and then Jacob would would have multiple children, 12 sons to be exact. And it was from those 12 sons that we see the tribes of Israel. And so they would become a great nation, and they would move from that land that, that, uh, that God had prepared. They would, they would end up moving to, to Egypt, and they would end up coming back to the promised land. And they believed that God was going to bless the peoples of the earth through that lineage. And then there was King David, and then there was Solomon. And things were going so well, and if there was ever a time that God would bless the people of the world, it would seem like it would happen during the time of, of Solomon. But then everything began to fall apart, and the nations of Israel split, and there were wars, and there were good kings, and there were bad kings. And there was some time that passed between the time of Solomon and the time of Zechariah and and Elizabeth. Matter of fact, during that time, there was the power changed hands some 25 times. And it seemed as if this powerful nation of Israel that God had promised that he was going to bless the nations, if they, all of a sudden they had lost their power and they had lost their influence. So what would happen? And so the promise that God had made to Abraham and that, that he would bless the entire world as a result of them, now all of a sudden seemed truly impossible. As a matter of fact, just a few years prior to this, in around 65 B.C., there was a Roman general by the name of Pompey who marched into the city, He besieged the city. He walked into the temple. He walked past the holy place, into the holy of holies, turned around and defied all of the Jewish regulations, the laws, because the Jews believed that that was reserved for only the priests one time a year to go into and to be able to offer a sacrifice. And here is this man who walks in, he desecrates the temple, and he walks out, and God did nothing. Can you imagine the desperation and the despondency of the people who believed? And yet, God did nothing. And what were the implications of that? Zechariah was probably a young man and heard the stories from his father. The implication was this, that the God of the Israelites, the God Yahweh, was not as good or not as powerful or not as strong as the God of the Romans. That was the implication. That Jupiter was much more powerful than than Yahweh. And so here is Zechariah as a young man. And his father coming home and sharing these stories, sitting around the table. And Zechariah had to be able to hear. And he shared with the family what had taken place and what had, what had happened around the supper table. Tearing his robes and, and mourning because the temple had been desecrated. This guy had, had destroyed it all. He had bypassed everything. He'd done nothing. God didn't. God didn't respond. And so here's Zechariah with, with all of these things that had happened. And then but prior to this, even prior to this, there was the destruction of, of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks. And so you've got this whole period of time where, man, so much stuff was going on. So many things were happening. And now you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth that in spite of all the hopelessness, they continued to remain faithful. In spite of dealing with infertility. In in spite of the fact that maybe God didn't answer their prayers like they thought that he should answer. There were so many questions. And again, during this season and time, there were so many Jews that, that walked away. They walked away from God and they walked away from the temple worship and they began to question God and his power. 
And there was even questions, is God even, even real, even in spite of the stories that we've heard of the past? The stories about the leading people out of Egypt and the feeding of manna in the desert and God's rescue. I mean, all of these different stories that they, was, they had heard. But, but now, where was God in the middle of this time, in this generation? And if there was ever a time that anyone felt like quitting, it would have been at that time. Walking away. You ever, you ever played baseball or played a game or maybe even played cards and you got so far behind you just wanted to quit? You have, hadn't you? You know, here you're playing a baseball game and the other team's up 25 to nothing and you're in the first inning and you're like going, you know. I give, I quit, you know. Take your shirt off. You don't even want to be associated with the team any longer. And I can imagine that's what Zachariah and Elizabeth felt, but they went against their feelings and they continued to hold on. They wouldn't quit. Zachariah and Elizabeth would not turn away. Let me say this about giving up and about quitting. Do you know that's contagious? It's contagious. So even though others around them were walking away, even though others around them were quitting, even though others around them, they wouldn't do it. So Luke begins his story. And ultimately, we're going to see it would be the fulfillment of the promise of what God had made to Abraham years ago. And this story is so important to us because there are those times in our seasons in our lives when we want to quit. There are those times that you want to quit in your marriage. Any hands? There are those times that you want to quit on your job. There's those times that you want to quit and you want to give up on a family member or a friend that you know that's walking through a difficult time. There's other times that you just want to quit. You want to throw up your hands and say, I'm done. I'm finished. But regardless of how we feel, what you're going to see here in just a second is God's always on time. At that moment when you feel like you just can't take another step, God says, listen, I've been here the whole time. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. Remember, he had certain things he had to do. He was serving God at the temple. It was his time, his group of people that had, had the responsibilities at this time for taking care, making sure the worship was going on and the affairs and managing the affairs and the resources of the temple. So all of a sudden, he says, was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. It was their responsibility that week. It says in verse 9, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So he was chosen. It was almost like somebody drawing styles. Like, all right, who's going, whose responsibility? And so, man, it was his turn. He got chosen. Out of all those people, he was chosen to burn incense at this time. And so what would happen? Um, so he goes um, and stands right outside of the Holy of Holies, and he burns incense inside the holy place. And right there, that place, right outside the place where God resides, he carries out his duties. And look at what he says in verse 10. While the incense was burning, a great crowd stood outside praying. So you've got the temple court areas, you've got the, you've got the, the holy place, and then you've got the Holy of Holies. And so he's in that holy place and he has lit his incense. And while they're burning, there's a great crowd of people outside praying. So he's inside all by himself. It says in verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. It's very interesting. He goes into details. He's on the right. He's not on the left. He's on the right. So he's burning incense, he's being faithful, doing what he's been called to do, and an angel of the Lord appears, and in verse 12 it says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Why in the world was he afraid? Because he hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, he lived a life of faith, he was faithful, he was righteous, but he goes on to say in verse 13, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Why? Because I'm bringing you some good news. Not bad news. 
Man, I'm going to bring you some good news. You don't have anything to be fearful of because you're a good man. You don't have anything to confess. You're a righteous man. No reason to be afraid. And the angel says to Zechariah, Man, God has heard your prayers. Man, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great that when we prayed that all of a sudden, man, you're at that place, you're about ready to give up. And man, God sends you an angel to say, listen, I just want you to know, Richard, God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, look what he says. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You know, the one that you've been praying for all these years. I know that she's old and I know that you're old, but God's fixing to bless you. She you're, you're, will give you a son, and you are to name him what? John. You're going to call him John. <laughs> Here's Zachariah. you got to be kidding me. That ain't going to work. Bro, don't you know how old I No, don't you know how old she is? He says, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, and he must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Remember, the Holy Spirit had not come to reside in the hearts of men yet. But the Holy Spirit would reside in, in, his, in, his, in, in him, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord there. God. Why? Because there were many people that had abandoned God. But all of a sudden, God was getting ready, Michael, to do something in Elizabeth and um, Zachariah's life that people would go, you got to get out of here. Elizabeth, pregnant? Come on now. God's getting ready to do something. God's getting ready to do something. God was going to use, God was going to use Zachariah and Elizabeth And all these years of barrenness, and all of a sudden, God's fixing to answer a prayer, and it's going to begin to ignite and spark within them this renewed interest of what is God getting ready to do. You ever been a part of something like that? Mark, you ever been a part of something where all of a sudden you begin to see something, and God begin to spark within you this excitement? Man, this, this like, wow. God's getting ready to do something. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I can't believe. I wonder what God's going to do next. And look at, what he, look at what he says in verse 17. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. This John will be. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. In the midst of the desperation, in the, in, in the midst of the, of the, uh, of the hopelessness, Something is getting ready to happen where where Elizabeth is going to bear a child. And this child is going to be the forerunner of Jesus. God's going to use him. And the people that have become discouraged, he's going to encourage them. There's going to be a sense of excitement. Zechariah said to the angel, now how can I be sure of this? In other words, you're joking with me, right? Are you lying? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is also a long in years. He could have said some other things, but that was a nice way of putting it. She's a long in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. By the way, I just want to let you know that. I stand in the very presence of God and it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until this child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time, at the right time. You mean to tell me that the whole time that God has had this time marked on his calendar and he's waited? Yeah. Yeah. God's had this time marked on his calendar since the beginning of time. You mean to tell me that God has waited this long on purpose to bless us with a child? Yes. You mean the whole time God has been watching his people while they've walked away from him, while they have abandoned him, why have they become despondent? 
in the means of, in the, in the whole time of, of losing hope, you mean to tell me that God heard our prayers the whole time and now he's getting ready to do something? That God has been listening? And that even though God has been silent, he has not been unaware? Yeah. And it says in verse 21 that meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. So there's this period of time and these people are praying, oh, you know, they're praying, man, hey, man, what's going on with him inside? What's the deal? Where's he at? They're wondering, why is it taking so long? It says, and when he finally came out, he couldn't speak. Then they realized from his gestures, whatever his gestures were, Can you imagine? And it says, they realized from his gestures and from his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, so here's this guy. Hey, Zach, won't you tell us what happened inside? So when time was over, what did he do? He went home. He returned home soon after his wife, Elizabeth. Guess what? She became pregnant. Get, out, get a load of that. I mean, do you mean to tell me just like the angel said? Just like God had instructed the angel? Yes. Said she became pregnant. And then went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she said. How kind. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. See, it's hard for some of us to understand the significance of what she's saying and the pain of her barrenness up until that time. And yet God was still at work in the middle of all of that. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say if Elizabeth never had a child... And God never saw to bless her with a child. Would God still be God? Yeah. He's still on the throne. Yeah. Meredith and I were blessed after 12 years of dealing with infertility to be able to, to, be able to experience the blessings of one, two, and oops. That's what they... <laughs> That's why I call Anna my favorite. <laughs> now, when the other kids get mad at her, they just go, you just remember you're an oops. And so, yeah, God is still God. But you know, the funny thing about it is this. It's just the beginning of what God was getting ready to do. I want you to think about that for a second. God had been silent for some 400 years. And yet God was getting ready to show off big time. This is the precursor to what? To the Messiah being born. And yet, he would encourage the people through Zechariah and Elizabeth, who in spite of all the hopelessness, they remained faithful. And when it seemed like there was no hope, when it seemed like there was no opportunity for God to do anything, God shows up at the right time and does exactly what he had planned all the way from the beginning. Sometimes I want to be able to have the calendar so I can make sure that God understands what the time frame should look like. Are you with me? But God said, no, that's my responsibility. That's me. See, it would be the pregnancy of Elizabeth and the birth of John that was proof that God was getting ready to do something that he'd already planned. What God had planned to do while those who believed died and never saw the fulfillment of what had been promised. There had been years and years of people that had heard and believed, yet they never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Think about that. People dying with not seeing the promise being fulfilled. And I want you to take note of this this morning. 
that those that believed, even though that they had died, they passed their story of hope on to their children and to their children's children. And that's why we sit here today. You want to talk about a heritage of faith? I will promise you this. In the next 15 years, there will be very few people that talk about what happens in this service. Think about that. But here you are 2,000 years later talking about what took place then because Jesus showed up. God showed up in a big way. And when we hold on to our faith and we pass that faith down to our children and to our children's children, we are like that small remnant of people that continued to believe in spite of the hopelessness. But it's a whole lot easier. And our churches are filled with people that walk away from God in the midst of the times that God doesn't show up the way that they think he should show up. But the scriptures teach us that since the beginning, there has been that small remnant of people that have continued to believe and continued to hold on in spite of the fact that God didn't show up the way that they thought he should. That's who we need to be. And that opportunity of being that small remnant is open to us, that we have the opportunity to hold on in spite of those times that things don't work out the way. We have the opportunity to pass that faith, our faith, down to the generations that follow us. To continue to hold on and not give up. To believe and to put into practice the Scriptures. And this is how the story concludes in verse 26. Look at what he says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And so here's the dilemma today. Do you hold on? And do you remain? Or do you run? Do you abide? Or do you turn? Do you hang on? Do you hang in there? Or do you throw your hands up and say, I quit? You got to make that decision. Do we create our own plan? Or are we willing to wait on God? Do we maintain our integrity? In that moment in time when, when, when things aren't going the way that we think that they should, or do we give in to the pressures to, to do that shady deal? Do we continue to be faithful to God in, spite, in, in, in spite of the fact that we've been passed over for that promotion? Do we continue to hold on, or do we just sort of do our own thing? What do we do when we feel like we've been wronged or we've taken advantage of? What do we do as a, as a teenager? What do we do as a teenager? When everybody else is doing something and you know it's the wrong thing, do you just sort of give in because God isn't doing what you think that he should do? Do you just sort of give in to the culture? Why should we be so concerned with, with what God thinks? I mean, who in the world says that God even cares to start off with? Why can't we just live together and cohabitate? Everybody else is doing it, regardless of what the word has to say. Culture says it's okay. But listen, inside of every generation, there was a group of people, a remnant, a small remnant of people that made a decision that they would remain faithful and they would seek to honor God and to bless Him in spite of the way that He responded, in spite of the circumstances that they experienced, and, it, and regardless of popular thought or feeling. And here's the great news, is that Troy, you have an opportunity to be one of those faithful few. That opportunity has been given to you. To John, that opportunity has been given to you. To Lori, that opportunity has been given to you. Bill, that opportunity has been given to you. Lester, that opportunity has been given to you. Richard, it's been given to you. James, it's been given to you. It's been given to every one of us in this room that we have been given the opportunity to hold on and to be faithful despite despite the facts of how God has responded up until this time, because we believe. Because we believe. 
We're challenged to be part of that remnant, seeking and desiring to not only know God, but to live for Him. And in those moments in time when God doesn't respond the way that we think He should, that God doesn't show up the way that we think He should, that we would still hold on and not lose hope, that we would not become discouraged, but we would hold on. And that's what the story of Christmas is all about. It's a reminder that God can do anything He wants to whenever He chooses. But he always does whatever he does at the right time. And that God is very much moved by those who are faithful. Why did God chose, choose Elizabeth and Zechariah? Because they were faithful. And that's the story of Christmas. That our faith and our faithfulness is not in vain. But there's hope. In that song, O Holy Night... There's a, uh, there's a line in there, and this is what it says. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That word pining means longing, praying, waiting. For hundreds of years they had waited. And we get all upset because God didn't show up yesterday. For hundreds of years they held on. And they didn't give up. (laughs) Christmas reminds us that this waiting and this anticipation, sitting on our edge of our seats, Dave, it's not in vain. Not in vain at all. But there's hope. For the person that says there's just no hope, There's hope. There's hope. I don't know what, where you are in this journey of life and what issue you may be dealing with or struggling with. But we learn today, there's hope. And tis the season for hope. What is it that you're facing right now that you're on the verge of just quitting and giving up and saying, I'm not going to do this any longer? What is it you're ready to walk away from? What is it? Is it a job? I don't know. Is it a marriage? Is it your faith? There's hope. And at just the right time. But still, if God doesn't show up in that, He's still God. Regardless of what you think. I want to be one of those, part of that little remnant that the faith was passed on to generation, to generation, to generation. But you know what I've learned in times? I've learned in times that when I walk through those times of difficulty, I need others around me with their arm on my shoulder saying, it's going to be okay. God's walking with you through this. Don't you dare live in a glass house and think that you... Oh, man, I can't believe somebody would be ready to give up on God. That doesn't make any sense to me. You've not lived life long enough. There will be that time when you're at that place. That's why we don't walk alone, but we walk together. That's what the church body does. That's why we need each other, Val. We need an older lady that will walk alongside of a younger lady that says, I will encourage you in these times because, honey, I want you to know guys are idiots all the time. (laughs) And that's why guys need other guys saying, honey, I just want you to know that women are idiots all the time, okay? I'd said to a couple the other day, how old are you? How long have you been married? In this world, you will have trouble. Lots of trouble. In the marriage life, lots of trouble. It's amazing, though, what you learn as time goes on. I want to pray for you today. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a faith in Jesus. Nothing saves us and nothing brings us hope outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Finances will for a little bit of time. But you watch the finances dwindle. And even because you got a lot of finances, there is no hope in that at all. 
Because when you die, you leave it all here. You don't take it with you. It doesn't go anyplace with you. But maybe you're here today and you don't have a faith in Jesus and yet you're searching for something. Jesus Christ is the one that died for your sins. 2,000 years ago, after he was born, Jesus was born to die. Melvin said it earlier. Why would he die? Because of his rebellion towards Rome? No, because of your rebellion towards God. That's why he died. He was born to die. And he died on a cross for your sins so that the price of sin would be paid for. He was the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of us all, once and for all. It was completed and done. Our hope comes through placing our faith in him, saying, God, there's nothing that I can do. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize there's nothing that I can do to save or prop myself up, but I want to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. I want to believe that he is my Savior, and so I want to submit myself. I want to humble myself, confess my sins, and I want to place my faith in Jesus. And maybe that's you today. What you can do right there where you are is is just confess your sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you're here today, right there where you are, on your way home today, in your, in, your, in your house this afternoon, or even praying with one of our overseers. Overseers, maybe would you just come here as well and stand along the front. Maybe you want to come this morning, um, and maybe you would like to share. Come on, overseers. Maybe you'd like to come this morning and say, I, that's me. I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but would you pray with me, and would you help me in this, in this thought? Would you, would you lead me toward coming to know Christ and and having an eternal confidence and assurance of my salvation. You can even come this morning while we're sitting here, while we're in the finishing up, come to these guys and say, I want to know Jesus. But the Bible talks to us and tells us about praying and confessing our sins, placing our faith in Christ. For by grace are we saved, God's grace, not anything that we could do. But today, if you don't know Christ, you could make that decision. But this is the second part of an invitation. There may be some of you that are here today, and you've been like it, that you're at that last little point of your rope, and today you need somebody to pray with you. These guys up here can do that. There are others that are standing, that are there next to you that maybe be willing to say, listen, we want to we pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you. But as we close out, I'd love for us to close our eyes and I'd love to pray for you because maybe you're here and maybe you're at that place of hopelessness. And you would say, Sid, I, I'm, I'm here and man, I'm just really struggling. But this, this, this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth strikes a chord with me. I may not be old in years, but I'm at the end of my rope and I'm struggling with some things right now that are just really overwhelming me. And I need some hope. I need some encouragement. Would you pray for me today with your heads bowed? Anybody just say, would you pray for me? I'm dealing with some issues in my life. Anybody? All right. Lots of people all around. Man, would you, would you just pray for me? I'm struggling with some things. I need some encouragement. I need to, I want to be that remnant, but I just don't know how to be that remnant to hold on. I'm just at that place of throwing up my hands and quitting. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I, I, I know that when we look at a story like this, we see the uniqueness of the story of a, of a man and a woman who, who served faithfully for years, and yet inside the depth of this story is a, is, a, is a couple that served faithfully for years, and yet there had to be so many questions within their own heart and lives about your faithfulness. Lord, yet we see, we we're able to read and look back and to see, God, how, how, how you were at work the whole time. It's hard for us to be able to see that living in the, in the day in and day out. Sometimes it's hard to trust you with the things where you seem to be absent or you don't seem to be aware. And yet we come to you day after day after day begging you and pleading with you. It may not be for the birth of a child, but may it, be, it, may, be, um, it may be just relationships inside of a home. It, it may be jobs or other issues or finances and And God, sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I pray, I want to pray for these that are here today that they wouldn't live in that place of isolation. That's a tool of the the devil to discourage us, 
That's a tool of the devil to isolate us from places that we would receive encouragement from other believers, Father, that have walked through similar circumstances or situations, and yet they have the ability to walk alongside of us and to encourage us in this journey. Do not give in to the, to the lies of the devil to isolate um, ourselves during those times, but the body of Christ to, to be open and to be honest in those conversations, to, have, to, to engage in others, uh, to engage others in conversations that we would be able to define what the word of God has to say and that there would be some others that would just walk alongside of us and lift our arms when we don't, can't even lift our head. Father, I pray for those that are at that place of hopelessness today, that even today, maybe when our service is done, they might even want to come up here and just pray with an overseer. There may be others here today, Father, that don't know you, but today for the first time, they say, I want to make my decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to give my life to Jesus. And if that person is here, even this morning, would they, would they just maybe write their name on that card in front of them and turn that in to say, today, I want to make this decision to trust Jesus Maybe they even be bold enough and courageous enough to even walk to me this morning or one of these overseers and say, I just want you to know today, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. May we just be reminded of this as the body of Christ, that we have the opportunity to be part of the few, that remnant that continued to believe and to hold on. May we not, may we not give up. But Father, may we continue to hold on to be faithful in sharing the faith and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those day in and day out that we come in contact with. Father, would you use us to leave a heritage of faith, to be reminded as we walk out these doors today that we are your ambassadors. Father, would you use us this next week? May we see beyond the, 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 uh, the, the, the coming to church on Sunday morning that you've called us to a purpose to live for you and to be your light into the world. I pray that today. I pray that this next week that you would protect our family, our church's family. Father, I pray that you would use us in a great way. And may we sit on the edge of our seat anticipating you to do great things, believing that, God, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. So, God, may I, may I be very vigilant. May I be very uh, observant, looking for you at work as I anticipate the second coming of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for hearing us today, for walking with us, for loving us. Use us this next week. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.